Welcome to Critical Issues Commentary, the podcast ministry of Gospel of Grace Fellowship, a non-denominational Christian church in St. Louis Park, Minnesota. This is Jessica Kramis, your host for today, and I'm speaking with Bob DeWay, Gospel of Grace's teacher and theologian and author of Critical Issues Commentary. Now, last week we had picked up with the Dutch Sheets book and we were talking about anointing in this story that he shares. And we're actually going to get right back into that today because we have a lot of material in Acts to discuss. So just to kind of give us a recap, in this story, we have this idea of a prayer cloth. So here's what it says. This is page 132 of Dutch Sheets book. On one occasion, Pastor Dutch taught about prayer cloths. Immediately, I thought we could do that for Jonathan. Pastor Dutch, David, and I together laid hands on a prayer cloth, releasing the power and anointing into it, agreeing that the anointing would break the yoke of drugs, sin, ungodly friends, perversion, and anything else that needed breaking. Okay, we talked about that last week. Now it goes on here. We cut the cloth into about 12 pieces and put them under his sheets, inside his pillow, hidden in the flaps of his wallet, sewed into the cuff of his pants, under his pocket, and so on and so forth. And then this paragraph ends with, with each one we would declare the anointing breaks the yoke. So as we were getting ready to record here, you had mentioned a couple things from Acts. So do you just want to explain how this is relevant to Acts and why this is unbiblical? Yes, I think we can show that taking things that you do read in the Bible, okay. even in the New Testament, and turning them into techniques is really not what the intent of the author is. In fact, it's warned against. Right. So there's two incidents that we want to talk about. One of them is Simon Magus in Acts 8, when the gospel first went to Samaria, which is part of the Great Commission in Acts, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Now, okay. Samaria was not some place the Jews had much good to say about. Yeah. And uh, there was a conflict with Samaritans. So that God would save them was a remarkable thing, and it was predicted. And there was a magician there who got involved. And then the second incident is in Acts 19, where extraordinary miracles are done and handkerchiefs or aprons are carried from Paul. Yes. Okay, so looking at those two, we can see that what Acts does, as Luke has written, Luke Acts, two-volume work, is include incidents that would warn us not to take these incidents in any pagan way, despite okay. the fact they happened as they did. Yes. So the first one in Acts 8, Philip was in Samaria, the city of Samaria proclaiming Christ. Now, when the Acts is proclaiming Christ, you assume the details are there because what Luke does, it gives you long versions of messages. Okay. Like Peter at Pentecost, Paul in uh, Acts 13, Paul before Athens, Acts 17. The long one shows the details that were typically preached. Okay. 
So when it says preach Christ, you assume it includes repentance for forgiveness of sins and so forth. Yes. So that's what's going on. Now look at, I'm going to read Acts 8, 9 to 10. Now there was a man named Simon who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. Okay. Theme in Luke Acts. Yes. Who's the greatest? It's not a good theme for people to get involved with. God knows who's great, but he claimed to be. Verse 10, and they all, from the smallest to the greatest, were giving attention to him, saying, this man is what is called the great power of God. Okay. So Simon Magus, as, as we call him, was an occult practitioner who amazed people with his signs, was known as the great power of God. Wow. Now, he had what turns, we'll find out later, sort of a conversion. Okay. Okay. He was baptized. And there were miracles taking place, Acts 9.13. Now, here's something that we also can, will help us understand what's wrong with the approaches that tie everything to techniques or like these prayer cloths put in certain places. Yeah. Okay. People get this one wrong too. They think, think there's a second blessing because there's a delay in the pouring out of the spirit uh, in in Samaria. Okay. Reason for it. I'll tell you why. Starting with verse 14. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. They had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now, okay. Let me now. There's there's something that comes up: the laying on of hands, physical locations, and. The story, like the one we're reading, takes the laying out of hands, the physical locations, and so on, and the Holy Spirit, and comes up with techniques based on it. Right. But this is not technological, it's relational. And let okay. me explain why. If you read Luke Acts, there's a big issue with Samaria. Yes. Earlier, they wanted to call down fire on the Samaritans. Right. So, there's this... Uh, hatred. There's this controversy. It went way back. Right. It, that really goes back to just after the time of Solomon. Yeah. And in the, in the, and the captivity. Luke, yeah. In the book of Luke, you have the parable of the Good Samaritan. That would be utterly shocking to them. Right. Okay. That a Samaritan could be good. Okay. Right? So Jesus told them that they'd be witnesses, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria into the ends of the earth. Okay. okay. The nations. You go to the nations. They go to the nations. This is what is happening through Philip. But there's going to arise in Acts controversy. And that'll go all the way to Acts 21 and beyond because there was this inclination by many to keep things right in Jerusalem because they don't really like Samaria. Right. Okay. 
So they had to be convinced in Jerusalem that God saved Samaritans. Okay. And that they were one with them. And so uh, I'm pointing out this is relational, not technological. Okay. And it's not a second blessing proof. They were right. saved at one point. They received the Holy Spirit later. The delay was in order to show the church at Jerusalem God saved Samaritans. Okay. Okay. Now, the laying on of hands in the Bible is a symbol of solidarity. Okay. When it's used in that context. The laying on of hands, you see that in James. That means we accept you. We receive you. So it's really not transferring some sort of power. It's it's no, it's not showing a unity to transfer something. Right. We keep going back to the magical and the technological, and the Bible is teaching us relational. Yes. Now we'll see how Luke shares about Simon introduced earlier in this chapter to show that. Okay. Now. Verse 18 of Acts 9, excuse me, Acts 8. Now, when Simon saw that the spirit would be stowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, that's what he saw. Okay. There's no rejoicing about who received Christ. He yes. saw a technique because he was a person who did that sort of thing. Yeah. He offered them money. Okay. You could add that to his repertoire of being the great power of God. Okay. Saying, give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So he wants to be the big mighty man of God too. Right. And there may have been similar things that happened as did at Pentecost. I don't dispute that. He saw something he, he thought would gain him money. Okay. All right. However, the point is, the guy's wrong, and Luke makes it very clear. And Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Wow. He's not even a believer. Yeah. You have no part or portion. Those words in the Greek mean no lot. They're not, you're not even part of it. Okay. You're not saved. You're not part of this. You're still in your dark, sinful life. For your heart is not right before God. Therefore, repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see you are in the gall of bitterness, the bondage of iniquity. Now look at verse 24. But Simon answered and said, pray to the Lord for me yourselves. So nothing what you said come upon me. He didn't want bad results. Right. But he wanted power. Yep. So Luke makes it clear Simon did not know Christ. He wasn't truly a Christian. And so there's a warning about taking the gracious work of God given by promise through the new covenant announced on the day of Pentecost, prophesied, Joel 2.28, in the, in the context there, what Peter preached at Pentecost, 
and turning it into a pagan technique to put into a magic act. Yep. And that's a pretty serious thing that Peter said there, because this is essentially uh, this guy's on his way to hell. Which should be sobering to us. He can, he can take his money with him as he goes there. Yep. That's not good. Well, so now we're going to see Dutch sheets and kind of do a similar thing here. And it's I wrote in the margin, is he Paul? Because it sounds just like what happens in Acts 19. Yes, we got to so, go there. Yep. So let me read. So page 133, still talking about the prayer class, although she's included some stuff about speaking God's plan and declaring this and that. When it comes to, uh, so then on page 133, every few months we would take a new prayer cloth to Pastor Dutch and repeat the process. So they have to keep getting this prayer cloth re-anointed, apparently, and only Dutch sheets can do it, which is what reminded me of Paul. So now they've got this process where Dutch sheets has to come in and give this a special anointing so that this prayer cloth will work. That reminded me of Acts 19. So do you want to explain that for us? And we'll show how Luke kind of does the same thing he does with the story of Simon Magus. Right. Didn't they actually put these little pieces of the cloth here and there? Yeah, it says they hidden flaps of his wallet, sewed into the cuff of his pants, under his pocket, inside holes in his walls, and inside the tag on the tongue of his shoes. Yes, that's, well... We've said enough so you can see why that's a big problem. Yes. Okay, now let's let's go to Acts 19, because there we have the same thing. There's something God's doing and then some application by pagans, in this case, by Jewish exorcists. Okay. The previous one was uh, Simon Magus, the magician. So let's just read this. Acts 19, I'll start with verse 11. God was performing... Extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. Okay. So that's what people did. Yes. And that's what that's what I thought of when I read this every few months, Pastor Dutch reanoints the cloth, and they're tucking it here and there, as if Although he does claim to have an apostolic ministry anyways, but he's not an apostle. Yes. Um, now, some people would take this as Paul, as God, Christ's apostle, saying, this is what you ought to do. Right. It does. I could see reading that theology of anointing into this. If I held the position that a mighty man of God can transfer some special anointing to an object, this would be my proof text. Yeah, and many have used it. But don't lose sight of the bigger picture. Okay. We're not saying that God doesn't do powerful things in situations that are seriously tainted. Okay. But in the end, you need to go to Scripture and have a, and trust Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone, by, uh, to the glory of God alone, and not turn into some paganized version. Right. We 
God can use any means that he wants. All of creation is his and he can do what he wants through it. But what we need to do is what is prescribed for us in scripture. Right. So there's this confusion of description and prescription. Right. But Luke isn't leaving us confused. Okay. In the case of Simon Magus, Peter rebukes him. Yes. In this, the case we're going to read about, we'll see that it doesn't say Paul told them to do it, but then the repentance also happens, so they get back on the right track. Okay. Let me just read this. All so right. They carried handkerchiefs, aprons, and there were diseases healed, evil spirits went out. Now, Acts 19, 13. In Luke's case, he's giving a warning by an event that happened. Okay. This constitutes a warning. Right. Acts 19, 13. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Okay. Stop right there. They had the right Jesus in their words. Right. Okay. Because Jesus was preached by Paul, who had the right Jesus. Yes. Okay. But these people didn't really know him. Now, let's go to verse. By the way, you can look up in Josephus, what if you have the works of Josephus, which I do, uh, what Jewish exorcists did some really strange things. Yeah. Trying to get the demons out of people. Well, and before we move on to the next verse, just reading this, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. It kind of reminds me of a lot of these false teachers who think the name of Jesus is some sort of magical force that will make things happen. Right. That's exactly. Yeah. There, and this was warned about earlier. Many will say, did we not do this in your name? Right. He said, I'll never, I never knew you. Yep. You know, in that kind of context, is relational. We'll see that right here. Okay. I hope this sinks in for everybody. It will save you a lot of sorrow and help you understand the Bible. Relational, not technological. Not some magic name that will get you what you want. Okay. So, I jury you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. Seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. So, they had some status, evidently. Okay. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus. I know about Paul, but who are you? All right. Okay. And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all, all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. Okay. They didn't get a very good outcome. No, they were put to shame. Right. But there's, there's, we got to read on and we'll learn a little more. Okay. Okay. This will help us. Yes. Luke is a brilliant, brilliant writer who, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote Luke Ash. Let's read on. Notice what happens in verse 17, and it shows you the point of this whole section. This became known to all, both Jews and Greeks, who lived in Ephesus. And fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was being magnified. Okay. Now, in that context, the name of the Lord Jesus 
isn't a magical word to scare demons. It's who he is, his person, his work, his honor, his dignity, his deity, his humanity. The whole person and work of Christ is encapsulated in that, praise the name of the Lord Jesus. Yes. His authority, Psalm 110, verse 1, cited throughout the New Testament, the right hand of God. That's what's being magnified. And in Luke Acts, magnifying the Lord is a good thing. You see it in Luke 1 when Mary does it. And right. Others. The okay. Magnificat. So follow the themes in Luke Acts, and you can really learn a lot. Verse 18. Many also who had believed, okay, now they are coming to faith. Many who had believed kept coming, confessing, disclosing their practices. Notice, disclosing their practices. They're seeing these magical practices are sinful. Yes. And so this whole incident showed that the new covenant is not dependent on magical practices or techniques. Okay. Now that's the whole point. Now look at how serious they were about repenting. Verse 19. Many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Now you can look it up in a good Bible encyclopedia. I, I preached on this recently. But the, the amount of money this represents would be many, many annual salaries of workers. Okay. Huge, huge amount of money. They made a, and the reason these books of magic were so valuable was they believed that if you kept the secrets and you had the right formula and the right utterances and the right techniques, you could manipulate the realm of the spirits to your own benefit. All right. You could ward off curses. You could find blessings. You could get good outcomes. And this is all together, Acts 19, 11 through 19, to show us that think, thinking the hands of Paul or the handkerchiefs or aprons are magical, or even the name of Jesus is magical, is pagan. Because at the end, they renounced all that when they saw what happened to the sons of Sceva, and they burned their magic books, and they trusted Christ because they repented, confessed, and they trusted him, and it's relational. And the relational part is so important. We cannot miss that. Having a relationship with God, the Father, through Jesus Christ, our great high priest, the Son, the Holy One of Israel, the Messiah, the resurrected one, the one who died for sins once for all, the one who bought us with a price and intercedes for us, and the Holy Spirit, God, the third person of the Trinity, who intercedes for us, poured out on the people of God. That relationship is ours every day and doesn't go away because we got some technique wrong. Okay. Or we said the wrong word. Or we made a negative confession. Or we forgot to do certain things. Or we forgot to put the right icons out there or the prayer clause or go to the right meeting or find the right person who has some secret we don't have. That's what the magic book's about. Simon Magus, magician. 
the magic practices, Acts 19. So when these things are described, they are described because they happened. But in each case, the possible error, Simon the magician, or in this case, sons of Sceva and the people that might be influenced him by him, are redirected to the relationship with Christ that comes through the gospel. Okay. And so we have a fair warning. And when I read stuff like this that I'm reading in this book, is it grieves me because sincere, possibly, I don't doubt the sincerity of the lady who wants her son saved. People, and I, I know people, I was in a group where that's kind of the way it was. Yeah. Sincere people who really care about what happens and the well-being of their loved ones are thinking they failed because they don't get the right outcome. Exactly. And if you think the flip side of this doesn't happen, you're pretty naive. Right. Everyone that reads that thinks, well, my son is still unsafe, so I didn't do it right. Yep. Or maybe you didn't have the right mighty man of God with enough anointing. Maybe I'll go to some location where some great apostle is preaching and maybe it'll work. Yeah. The pagan impulses are always sitting there right under the surface. We got and these events are here to warn us not to look at it that way. Knowing Jesus Christ, when they said who Jesus whom Paul preached, he had a relationship with Christ. They did not. Right. There are a lot of Christian preachers that don't have a relationship with Christ. Exactly. And now, there's no magic. There's a relationship. And what parent would treat their children that way? Right. They think that God, evidently by their stories, is fickle. Yes. And if you want to get God to answer prayer the way you want, then you do all these things. Which is the exact opposite of what we see in Scripture. Right. And it's relational. And the stories of the Bible, historical fact, are there to teach us and encourage us. And the other thing is not everybody's going to be saved. Right. And not all children of believers are believers. No. Salvation is based on the relationship with Christ, not being born into the right family. Yes. Everybody was born into the wrong family in a one sense. In God's providence, we're all born into a family, however broken it may be. But the family we were born into is the descendants of Adam. Right. And Adam all died. Yep. So we need Christ. So this is just not helpful. Right. And I believe that Matthew talks about Judas. Judas is there is the betrayer in fulfillment of scripture. Yes. The way bread with me kicked up his heels. I think that's what it says. Yep. And we're, if Jesus, God the Son, has a disciple who was with them from, from the beginning, who was apostate, we can't assume that if we have an unsaved child, there's some magical technique that'll change that. Right. And that's really what we see here in this book. 
and kind of looking towards the end. So the end of the story is then one night at one of our prayer meetings, he prayed a prayer of recommitment to Christ. And we watched in amazement as all the things of the world began to fall away from Jonathan and the things of the kingdom of God became clear and appealing. And then it goes on to say uh, a little farther down, does God answer prayer? You bet he does. And I wrote in the margin here, sometimes he does in spite of our nonsense, not because of it. Yeah, it's not honoring to God to go to go through all of that because it implies that God operates similarly to the magicians of the pagans. Yes. Do this, do this, try that, try that. It's very really with the, with Protestantism like that, who needs Roman Catholicism? Right. Well, and and going back here to Acts nineteen. So in verse 19, they burned their books and uh, in, in the sight of everyone, verse 20, so the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. The word of the Lord. Yes. That's what we need to focus on. And we would like to control the realm of the spirits. We don't control it. God's right. sovereign over his own universe. And we need to stay out of the realm of the spirits. We need to preach Christ. We keep going back to Colossians 1, 13 and 14. We have an article just based on those two verses. Yep. And from darkness to light, the kingdom of Satan to the, I believe it says there, the kingdom of his beloved son. Is that how it's yes. stated? Uh -huh. uh, there's a transfer that happens at conversion. And it doesn't happen because we manipulated what was going on in the realm of darkness. Right. That's what the sons of Sceva were trying to do. Yep. That's what Simon Magus wanted to do. Yes. That's not what Christians are supposed to do. And we see that in Acts 19 when they burned all their books. Right. Okay. They didn't, they didn't replace the books, by the way, with pieces of cloth they got Paul to pray over. Exactly. That is something we don't see here. No, the word of the Lord is magnified, meaning they preach it. Right. They confess Christ. Yes. Dear ones, don't be uh, intimidated by the stories of people that figure it out. They, they come off as really pious or whatever. God is compassionate and loving, and he saves sinners. Right. Every sinner that was ever saved was unworthy. Yep. And what we can do is magnify the word of God by preaching it carefully and accurately and showing kindness to the people around us and portraying the truth about who Christ is and what prayer is. It's relational. It's not getting the words in a certain way to get your desired outcome. Okay. All right, we are out of time for this edition of Critical Issues Commentary Radio. You can access this episode and many others, as well as years' worth of articles, at the website cicministry.org. While you're there, click on Contact and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. We want to encourage you all to stand firm in one spirit with one mind and strive together for the faith of the gospel. For Critical Issues Commentary, this is Jessica Kramis. And Bob DeWay. We'll see you next week. 